inspects the inspectors. This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from a torrentially rainy England. Should I say anything on the programme that strikes a chord, interests you, or heaven help me, causes you to choke on your full English breakfast, please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat it is chucking it down with rain here seriously it is so wet and dark outside you'd think it was the early evening there's no suggestion that the sun will rise today um but there we go i'm sure it will all be better later it is that time of year to have a merry and manly christmas to take part in the contest to get tickets and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes, go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. Listen out for the soundbite and call in. It is National Ding-a-Ling Day. Could somebody please tell me what this is? More importantly, perhaps Our Lady of Guadalupe feast day, you know? Maybe maybe we should think about that rather than dingalings, but I've no idea what a dingaling is. So could somebody tell me what a dingaling is, please? National Poncietta Poncietta Day and National Ambrosia Day and National Gingerbread House Day. Now, gingerbread houses I do know about. And unfortunately, I, I quite like building gingerbread houses. Does anyone like building a gingerbread house for Christmas? Is that something you do? Is that a tradition you have? It's not something I remember at all growing up. It's quite a, I think it's a Germanic tradition or a Nordic tradition that's kind of fallen into British culture. But then so did the Christmas tree and the turkey dinner and everything else. My children don't like gingerbread houses anymore because unfortunately last year we were doing a mammoth gingerbread house building effort with a friend of theirs who'd come along to join in and she kept licking her fingers um, and then touching the gingerbread house and none of them fancied eating it after that it's completely put them off which is a shame because I think gingerbread houses are wonderful things but anyway I have rather more serious and exciting things to tell you about today it's an important day for radio would you believe it is an important day for radio because it was on this day in 1896 that Marconi gave the first public demonstration of radio at Toynbee Hall in London. This, the first radio demonstration, 1896, on this day. And... It was, in fact, also on this day in 1901 that Marconi carried out the first transatlantic radio transmission from Pondu, Cornwall to St. John's, Newfoundland, a distance of 1,800 miles. So this is a big day for radio. It should really be radio day, don't you think? I think so. This is this is really International Radio Day. Uh, Maggie's explaining National Dingaling Day on December the 12th, encourages us to reconnect with people we once talked to often. That's a lovely idea. That's actually a really, it's a silly name, but it's a lovely idea. 
that's a really good thought. I'm, I'm just thinking of people I could. Um, just thinking people have this, a few people I could be talking to um, who I haven't meant, haven't heard haven't heard from from a long time, but would would like to talk to again. Yes, Maggie's saying in 1972. There's a whole history of this. Okay, in 1972, Frankie Heil placed a free ad in Chase's calendar of events with his PO box number in Melrose Park, Illinois. I think I've got that right. Um, stating that for one dollar you can join the National Dingaling Club. The club, with 871 original members, would call friends and relatives they hadn't heard from um, in a while every year on December the 12th. In a 1975 Lakeland Ledger article, the idea for the club developed during a conversation, so during a discussion among friends about people being friendlier and led to the meaning of the term dingaling. After looking up the word, they found it meant one who hears bells in his head. And Philip has got the... um. <laughs> it's got the definition a stupid foolish or eccentric person noun slang a stupid foolish or eccentric person, a dingling I, it just sounds too silly unfortunately also um it in certain parts of britain it could mean something else just um use your imagination sorry it's just too silly um Maggie's saying from the evening discussion, Hal created the National Dingaling Club. <laughs> so I keep finding it funny for saying it. The National Dingaling Club. The tradition grew on December the 12th. Millions of people were called those individuals dear to them. All oh, right, so Philip, it's not just in Britain. Uh, in, in America, it's also slang for a male appendage. Yes, that's, that's sort of what springs to mind every time I say it. I feel like I, I shouldn't actually be saying it on live radio. Okay. Um, Maggie, it sounds so silly, quite. Uh, th there we are. Never mind. Uh, it's, a, it's a lovely idea, but gingerbread houses come on. Who builds themselves? Who bakes and builds a gingerbread house every Christmas? Anyone have that tradition? I just, it is true. It rather turned my stomach last year, so I'm not sure I can quite face it again, but it's a shame because it's lovely. Okay, if you want a bit of silly, if you want to go from another, from, from dingling day to something else really silly from this day, okay. This made me smile. I just had to share it with you. On this day in 2013, doctors in uh, Derby and Nottingham made a study of Ian Fleming's James Bond novels. They analysed the novels and found that James Bond, according to Ian Fleming's descriptions, James Bond drank the equivalent of one and a half bottles of wine every day. They came to the conclusion that he would not be the man to trust with a nuclear bomb and that his love of the bottle would have left him impotent and at death's door. Excluding the 36 days that Bond was in prison, hospital or rehab, the spy downed 1,150 units of alcohol in 88 days, four times the recommended maximum intake for men in the UK. So... That's what James Bond would really have been like. Impotent, really, really unwell, and definitely not running around, you know, on tops of trains and things like that, and definitely not one for the ladies. And definitely not the man you'd call to deactivate a nuclear bomb under any circumstances. There we go. So I think that's sillier than National Dingling Day. Okay, serious news. All right, I'm going to I'm going to bite the bullet and get to the serious news. Who inspects the inspector? Oh no, here we go, Philip. What are you doing? Have the king dude cue up the dingaling song for? There's a dingaling song. 
Oh, no, please don't put any more ideas in his head, Philip, really. I mean, it's, it's, too, it's too awful. Okay, serious. Who inspects the inspectors? Who inspects the inspectors? Now, it's one of those things, is it? Who watches the watchers? Who is finally the person an institution accounts to when other people normally account to them? This is a question. It may seem like a bit of a convoluted question, but it's a question we're really asking a lot in the UK at the moment because... I've mentioned in the past the dreaded Ofsted, the bane of every teacher's life. Ofsted is the inspection body that has charge of not just every school in the UK, but also playgroups and youth groups and anything that involves educating children can be inspected by Ofsted. Even childminders, individual childminders, can be inspected by Ofsted. And the idea is to ensure that there's, you know, that most children in this country are getting a, a relatively good and consistent education. However, Ofsted has been, since it was founded, which was when I was at school, it has been a very frequent target of criticism. There are complaints that the process of inspecting schools is needlessly stressful, that the way in which decisions are made about how good the school is are really not at all transparent, that they operate a bit of a tick box system that they don't always take into account the specifics of a school that particularly uh, what's particularly coming for criticism is that Ofsted will they, they write a very detailed report when they they spring an inspection on a school there, there are two different kinds of inspection Ofsted do a planned inspection where they say we will come to your school next week and inspect they don't give a lot of time so you, you you don't have time to bury the bodies or whatever but time to just prepare yourself or it will be an on-the-spot inspection they will simply turn up and they will sit in on classes they will look at exercise books they will talk to teachers they will inspect the paperwork i mean they will look at everything they will talk to pupils they will talk to individual teachers so it is supposed to be a comprehensive inspection. And in the end, they do a detailed report of all the different aspects of the school, educational, pastoral, leadership, all the rest. However, they then sum up the school in just one word, either outstanding, good, adequate, failing, special measures. And they have to soften it a little bit now. You sometimes get good and improving um, and things like that, just to, as a sort of halfway house. But a word is given and you can't sum up a school in just one word. It's impossible to do that. And that's one of the major criticisms. But anyway, some time ago... A school in Reading in the south of England was inspected. Caversham Primary School was inspected by Ofsted. And the head teacher, Ruth Perry, who was described as very, very dedicated to the school, dedicated to her career. She um, 
was described as uh, she was the uh, headmistress who led and loved Caversham Primary School. Uh, it was her life. She was a local girl. She had uh, grown up in the area. She then went on to be head teacher. Hugely proud moment for her being head teacher of this primary school. And then the school was doing very well. It was an outstanding school. She had what she described as a terrible meeting with Ofsted. A colleague who was there described how the Ofsted inspector took a very mocking tone, actually laughed at her at one point, how Ruth Perry became progressively more distressed and anxious during the course of the meeting. And she was then made to understand that the school was going to be given, having been an outstanding school, a an inadequate rating. It was going to go from outstanding right through to inadequate, and the leadership in particular was coming in for a lot of criticism. Despite the fact that this head teacher was clearly very well loved and very dedicated, she was being given this label. And Despite the fact that she was clearly distressed during the meeting, nothing was really done to try to help her. She then, having been told about the downgrading of the school, her mental health went into very steep decline and she took her own life just after Christmas. An inquest has stated that Ofsted was a contributing factor in the death of this head teacher. It is the first time an inquest has named Ofsted specifically as a contributing factor in the death of any teacher. So this is very significant. The senior coroner said that the inspection lacked fairness, respect and sensitivity, was at times rude, intimidating. The school has been left reeling as a result of this death. It's a terrible thing to have a death in a school anyway, but a death like this has been absolutely horrific for the entire community. The inquest was described as showing the brutal inhumanity of the system of Ofsted inspections. Ofsted likes to, this, this, the sister of the dead woman stated, Ofsted likes to judge people with single word labels. We would judge the current Ofsted system with our own labels, callous, perverse and inhumane. Callous, perverse and inhumane. The sad thing is that Ofsted have really not taken on board the criticisms here. The local council, the education secretary, Gillian Keegan, has said lessons need to be learned. This tragedy should never have happened. Um, the teaching union have come out very much in support of Ruth Perry's family. But Ofsted have simply said that oh, it's not fair, um, you know, uh, they're using the death of a teacher to, to undermine Ofsted and claims were also made that, you know, that there's all sorts of help available for head, head teachers and there isn't.
there, there just isn't. Um, they have really expressed no remorse at all. So I feel horrible looking at this. I just, I completely appreciate that there needs to be some kind of system of inspection because when I was at primary school, they had not yet brought in any kind of system to inspect schools. And there were schools that were frankly dangerous. Um, there were schools that, that should not have had children in them, that you know, with buildings falling apart, where the teachers were unqualified, where all sorts of awful practices were going on. Um, there's no way my primary school would ever survive an inspection today. There was nothing about my primary school that was right, as far as I could make out. However, Ofsted clearly needs to change the whole system. The very fact that teachers loathe Ofsted so much is a sign in itself. It should not have led to the death of a teacher, of a, of a much-loved and very dedicated head teacher. The very fact that teachers loathe Ofsted says a lot about the whole system. Now, of course, nobody likes being inspected. I get that. Nobody likes to be inspected. But if the system were really working, teachers and inspectors could work together. How is the school doing well? Okay, how could we help you to improve it? There are so many ways that a school that was struggling could be helped in a positive way without being given a great big um, label that just demoralizes people and really hurts people. My own children's primary school, when I first sent my children there, it was an outstanding school. It then got downgraded to a good school. It then became a good and improving school. I didn't notice any difference in the time I was there between when it was an outstanding school and when it was a good and improving school. Um, it was just, it was an excellent school. Um, and, you know, this is the... This is the, the difficulty, but I just I feel so awful for this woman and her family. It's, it is just such a needless tragedy. It need never, ever have happened. It's 27 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you've missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast, same day, from crusademax.com. And we have been talking about... National Gingerbread House Day. Do you build and decorate a gingerbread house every Christmas? We have been talking about National Dingaling Day, and it still makes me want to giggle. And also what I think should be National Radio Day, International Radio Day, since this is the day in 1896 that Marconi gave the first public demonstration of radio at Toynbee Hall in London. And did you know, no sugar Sherlock, that James Bond was really unhealthy? If he drank that much wine, he'd be impotent and at death's door. And definitely not the chappy you want to defuse the bomb or even move quickly. Um, but the serious news of the day is uh, head teacher Ruth Perry took her own life after um, a distressing Ofsted inspection. The inquest has found that Ofsted was a contributing factor in her suicide. Her sister has made an impassioned plea for a change to the system, calling it inhumane and perverse. Lots of comments coming into the chat room. Yes, good morning, Lady Bellamine. Good good morning, Ross. Um, okay, Dr. Torres is telling me dingaling was a euphemistic term for the male member when I was growing up. Why not say the Ring of Love Club or something like that? Perversity abounds, but love abounds more. 
Good morning, everyone. That's lovely. Yes, I just wish it wasn't called that because it, it cracks me up, you know. Um, but there we are. And I'm glad it's not just me who thought of that. Um, Dr. Tor is also saying most public schools are dangerous today, dangerous to the minds of Gen Z and Alpha. Well, this is the thing as well. And uh, a lot of the time, there is a worry about the ideologies being pushed and that Ofsted is more interested in ideology. There was a Christian school some years ago. And there's, there's a lot of bad press about Ofsted. I mean, every every year there's stories about schools being, you know, upset by Ofsted, being unfairly labelled by Ofsted, complaints about Ofsted. Everyone hates Ofsted. I think we're all, the only agreement at the moment, we're so politically divided in Britain, the only agreement is everybody hates Ofsted. <clears throat> There was a Christian school some years ago that got given an inadequate rating. It had been it had been outstanding. But it got an inadequate rating because the claim was made they were not pushing LGBT enough. And apparently they had actually, this was all based around them cornering some child, which I thought was a, you know, pretty much a safeguarding concern anyway, cornering a child and demanding to know what help she'd get if she came out as lesbian. Um, and the child was completely flummoxed and had no idea how to answer. And this was taken as a sign that obviously the school wasn't preparing them properly, rather than a complete stranger was aggressively asking a girl a very personal question she didn't entirely understand um, or something like that. So there are there are a lot of issues when it when it comes to Ofsted and what, what they regard as good schooling and a sense of having to constantly tick boxes. So. I just think the whole thing needs to be completely rethought. Um, Philip saying, how many times do people complain this agency has not done enough to change a bad school? Well, ironically, <clears throat> you get you get situations. I mean, they're much more likely to downgrade a good school than the other way around. However, you do occasionally get situations where, um, well, a friend of mine, to give you an example, a friend of mine had her son at a school where bullying was completely out of control. She said it was just out of control. He ended up having to be taken out of school. Um, he, they, they used to spit on his food and things like that. So he developed an eating disorder. It was horrible what, what happened. It was really, really horrific. And that school was labelled outstanding. And she said, I can't understand how a school that so completely fails to protect its pupils can be given a, a rating like that. So it, it is perverse. It is just, it is just completely perverse. Um Maggie's saying most schools here in the States in large cities are dangerous because the kids are out of control. Well, that's another issue. Now, Ofsted do look at things like, um, as part of leadership, they do look at discipline. And one of the things that really shocked me, and a lot of things shocked me about this inquest, it was very, very damning, is that they, during the course of the, the inquest, an inquest, I mean, it's presumably the same system in the States. It's like a trial, or at least a hearing, you know, it's it's a legal, it's a legal entity, um, an inquest, and people give evidence and all the rest. And there, there are certain rules that apply to an inquest that are very similar to those that apply in a court. And at one point during the inquest, the Ofsted inspector, who was denying um, you know, that he'd done anything wrong, started talking about children in the school. And had to be stopped immediately and told, look, those children are identifiable. This is a safeguarding issue. Ofsted had to be reminded about safeguarding. It probably tells you everything you need to know. Um, 
Maggie's saying you couldn't pay me enough to teach in a public school here in the States in a large city. I would never go anywhere near a classroom. No way would I do that. Um, I just I, I think you know, teachers who can actually cope with that. I, I, I don't know how they do it. Well, the answer is they don't. They, they, they end up having to leave. The thousands of teachers leave the profession every year. Guess why? Um Oh, no, here we go. This is the song I'm getting, the dreadful music coming up. Let me brace myself. Um, Chuck Berry had a number one hit with a song that, by the title My Dingaling. Oh, please, uh, the emperor of rock and roll. I don't even know who Chuck Berry was. My Dingaling sounds crude. You're right, Dr. Torres. Don't let him do it. Um, Ashley saying I'm feeling well enough to be sitting at my desk chair. That's wonderful. Okay, here we go. You are listening to the early show. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723, says Fiorella de Maria with a very, very serious sense of dread. The Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. We are going to take a little break now, but please stay tuned and do talk to me and join the conversation because the early show will return in a few moments here on the Crusade Channel. Live talk radio the way it should be. When I was a little bitty boy, my grandmother bought me a cute little toy. Silver bills hanging on a string. She said it was my ding-a-ling-a-ling, oh my ding-a-ling. Come in, but just the one. Feel like I'm made out of gingerbread. Uh huh. Uh huh. Crown picking, lip picking gingerbread. Uh huh. Uh huh. Can't think about rainy. Those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday, those of you just joining us are completely in control of this show. You are listening to the early show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join the conversation and appreciation of this wonderful music we're getting this morning as you enjoy a hearty breakfast. 
If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of the early show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. And it's that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas. To take part in the contest and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes, go to crusadechannel.com forward slash merry. Listen out for the soundbite and call in. We are talking about... Um, a number of subjects, um, from the sublime to the ridiculous today, the death of head teacher Ruth Perry here in Britain. The conclusions of the coroner have been that Ofsted, the inspection, school's inspection body, was a contributing factor in her suicide. It is also National Gingerbread House Day, that you'd never have guessed it from that song. Do you build a gingerbread house? Does anybody build a gingerbread house? And National Dingling Day. Maggie, you're right. That was terrible. Ashley saying I haven't heard that song in years. I had never had the displeasure of hearing that song. Good grief. I don't even know who Chuck Berry is. Um, Ashley, so glad you're feeling better, though. Um, Dr. Torres is asking in the chat room. There's a new video meme that's popular now here for your other files. Features some woman named Scylla Black singing a portion of Surprise, Surprise. It's hilarious. Do you know Scylla Black for your other files? I do. She was a household name over here. I've just been looking up her, um, her biography, in fact, because her real name was Priscilla White. But she took the sage names, named Scylla Black. She was from Liverpool, um, starting her career at the same time as the Beatles. She's that generation. And she was, in fact, a very successful singer uh, in the 60s and 70s. She had uh, a number of number ones. And the fact that she was close pals with the Beatles probably helped. She then went on, she did a bit of comedy acting and things like that, but she was mostly a television presenter. That's how I remember. She used to present a programme called Blind Date, uh, which um, there's got to be something similar in the States where three complete strangers, um, it's, three, it's three women with um, a man asking the questions off screen and then they do it the other way around with three men and there's a woman asking the questions and whoever wins, they, they, they then get paired up and they get sent on a holiday. Very dodgy in my opinion, but that was that was the show she became most famous for. But she also did other programmes like Surprise, Surprise and Moment of Truth. And it was quite weird because they made a biopic about her. I think it came out after she died. Tragically, she, she died, she had a fall. Um, when she was on holiday, she had a fall and had a stroke. And it was really weird seeing this biopic and seeing that she had been you know, a really successful singer as a young woman. Cause it's a bit like someone said it was like discovering that you're slightly drunky, drunken, um, overly talkative, eccentric auntie had some really glamorous career once. Because for us, she was a sort of auntie figure. You know, she was she was always the older lady, glamorous older lady on television. So that was Scylla Black. She was Catholic, in fact. I don't know how... Um, practicing she was but you know she was married to the same lovely husband for 30 years until his death and had a number of children and was buried her her funeral service her requiem was uh, held at the Liverpool Cathedral so um, I think she you know you no know, she was quite quite a good sort really um, in a pity, in a way, she is only really known as a kind of funny figure because I think, yes, she did have the serious career. Um, 
Philip saying, great song for a room full of drunks. Yes, I think that was the worst choice of music you've given me so far, Mike. Just saying. Um, Louise is saying, run, run, Rudolph is Chuck Berry's best song. Morning, 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 um, Louise. Run, run, Rudolph. Okay. Good morning, chicken lady. Oh, dear. Maggie saying, great. The King Dude will be singing this dang song all week. I'm so sorry for you, Maggie. Will I, should I send you a gingerbread house, Maggie, to make up for this? And Philip's saying, I forgot about the gingerbread song. I had no idea there was a gingerbread song. That was awful. Um, it did make me think, though. Oh, here it is. Maggie's saying, gingerbread and eggnog. Don't like eggnog. Uh, Jacqueline saying, we build gingerbread houses in my classroom. Uh, Maggie saying, sadly, was never in my life, never in my life made a gingerbread house. Yeah, it's um, one of those things I don't remember at all growing up, but it's become quite popular. But yes, after last year's slightly icky experience, I'm not sure we can cope with it. I tell you what, I don't know if you have the Moomins, uh, whether the Moomins ever made their way across the Atlantic, very popular children's cartoon characters. And... One Christmas, my sister-in-law, who was a big fan of the Moomins when she was a child, built a huge Moomin house out of gingerbread with little model Moomins made out of white icing. It was really fabulous. <clears throat> Doctor, what is this? Oh, I said, oh, no. Hybrid workers on their biannual trip to the office. Surprise, surprise, too busy to schedule that vasectomy. Okay, yeah. Oh, d where did that go? Oh, it's been, it's been removed from the chat room. Right. Dr. Torres, examples of where surprise, surprise pops up. So funny, I actually heard the whole song last night after seeing that meme a hundred times. Um, Dr. Torres saying, Johnny B. Good is a Chuck Berry song. Classic. Go, Johnny, go. Well, I learn something new every single show. That is deeply exciting. Right, Chuck Berry, I'm just going to have to um, steer really clear of him. Right. Okay, I think after the rather serious subject uh, before in the first segment, I think we should do something a little bit sillier. There is a quiz. You know, we were talking the other day about new words that appeared in the dictionary to have riz, for example, to, to be a swifty and all of this. Right. The BBC has compiled a quiz of the most obscure words in the English language. And do you know, these are band one OED words, so rare they're unlikely even to appear in a modern text. So we're going to do a little quiz. All right. Can you guess the meaning of these obscure words? Answers in the chat room, please. First question. What does rantum scutum mean? What does rantum scutum mean? In a state of uncontrollable anger, to move with haste or reckless? Does rantum scutum mean in a state of uncontrollable anger to move with haste or reckless? There we are. Apparently it is a variation on an American word. Ashley saying to move with haste. No, it isn't. So is it 
Reckless or in a state of uncontrollable anger? Anyone want to guess? Dr. Torres, wait, my pick got nixed, but you're all up in there playing songs about dingalings? Um, yes, I, I see that there may be there may be a certain um, certain double standards going on here. Philip is saying to move with haste. No, it is reckless. Rantum scooter means reckless. It's a word that many of us use all the time. Said no one ever. It's thought to be a variation of the rare American word rantum scantum. Its earliest known use was in 1885. Its first appearance read, "He's a deal." A great deal more serious-minded than most of the random scootin' boys one has to put up with in a wandering life like this. So there we are. Question number two. How about longiloquence? The crisp white-fleshed edible tuber of the yam bean? The movement of an object faster than the speed of light? or the habit of speaking at great length. What is long eloquence? The crisp, white-fleshed edible tuber of the yam bean, the movement of an object faster than the speed of light, or the habit of speaking at great length. Philip, don't go, go giving up saying I'm bad at this. You've only had one go. Let's try number two. My guess, I don't actually know the answers to any of these, by the way. My guess, I haven't, I haven't clicked on the... Um, I haven't clicked on the answer yet. I think that longiloquence, yes, PDCCO is saying exactly the same, and Ashley, the habit of speaking at great length. Um, well, let's just see if you're right, because I have a feeling. Yes, you're right. I think that was a bit easier, that one. Oh, actually, um, Dr. Torres thought it might be the crisp, white-fleshed edible tuber of the ambine. No, it wasn't. It is genuinely the habit of speaking at great length, longiloquence. That's such a polite way of saying to someone that they're boring. It means, yes, it's similar to long-windedness. So when your teachers are talking at length in class, it might be an example of longiloquence. First known entry of the word is in the Scottish literary, um, the journal of the Scottish literary figure, Henry Cockburn in 1836. There we go. First one. Louise is saying in the chat room, I love eggnog. I make it by whipping up raw yolks with sugar, then add bourbon to cook the eggs. I add milk and lots more bourbon, then I test it. I tell my family if I die, don't drink the dang eggnog. <laughs> I, I just, I've never got the hang of eggnog. I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't quite work for me. Right. Oh, here we go. Maggie's saying, the king dude loves to make homemade eggnog too. Can't even bring myself to try it. I have tried it. This is not a don't try before you deny. I have tried it and I'm denying it. Just don't get on with it. Um, had the king dude been at the eggnog when he chose the music for this morning? Um, okay. This is a good one. Question three. If someone was to say ooflessness... What would they mean? Ooflessness. Expressing alarm or annoyance, poverty, or to act foolish. Ooflessness. Right. Ashley's saying, I would love to try the King Dude's eggnog. And Chicken Lady saying, Louise, I think if we ever met, we may become good friends. There we are. Okay, so what is ooflessness? Okay, uh, two people, very quick, gosh, um, at the same time, no, at the same time, three uh, three messages came in all at once, right. PDCCO saying to act foolish, foolish, uh, Ashley also saying to act foolish. Um, 
No, it is not to act foolish. Anyone want to have a last guess? Expressing alarm or annoyance or poverty. Ooflessness. I like this word. I could actually get used to this. I've got, I've got, um, I've got a bit oofless. There we are. Um, the answer, in fact, oh, hang on. I think someone's tried to guess. Uh, Philip also saying to act foolish. No, nope. Mary's diary to act foolish. No, the, it is. Believe it or not, it sounds like it ought to be. That would have been my choice. It's poverty. Ooflessness means poverty. It's British slang, which ironically originated in Sydney, Australia, first known to have appeared in an Australian newspaper called The Bird of Freedom in the late 1800s, reading, being oofless, t'was a cause, uh, t'was, being oofless, t'was a case of lock and key. There we go. Ooflessness. Okay. Now, this is, I think this one is a bit more obvious. How is Labify? defined labify labify could be one an ornament being inserted into a perforation in the lip two to weaken or impair or three to declare or label as inadequate labify it's very strange word. there's some very very odd words coming up here that's why they're rare i suppose they're too weird to say labify an ornament being inserted into a perforation in the lip to weaken or impair or to declare or label as inadequate. Anyone want to have a guess here? Philip, the lip one. Okay. Um, JT saying inadequate. Both wrong. The answer, believe it or not, to labify is to weaken or impair. It comes from the now obsolete word labor fact. It's referred to as labor-fied in the past tense. For example, a layoff would labor-fy her upper body strength. There we go. Okay, this is, gosh, they're getting really weird now. Okay, what do you think the word aberruncate means? I've no idea if I'm saying these words right, having never, ever come across them right. Aberruncate. Aberruncate? Is it to pull up by the roots, to remove entirely, or uttering few words, brief in speech, or pretending to work when you're not actually doing anything at all? Aberruncate. Uh, Louise saying, Maggie, eggnog made well is absolutely delicious. Morning. Um, Ashley, yes, too right. Well done, Ashley. I think you're in the lead so far. Um, you, have, you have got two right. I think you're the only one who's got got two right so far. Louise, real bourbon. Mm. Well, what do we think aberrancate means? Pull up by the roots to remove entirely, uttering uttering few... Sorry, that's one possible possibility. To pull up by the roots to remove entirely or uttering few words, brief in speech or pretending to work when you're not actually doing anything at all. There we are. Ashley's saying, please read the options again. To pull up by the roots, uttering few words, or pretending to work when you're not doing anything. Okay, Ashley is saying to pull up by the roots. Anyone else want to guess? Chicken Lady is also saying pull up by the roots. Any advance? PDCCO is saying it might be even more fun if it wasn't multiple choice. That could be really hilarious, couldn't it? Because some of these words, you could try any definition, frankly. Right? Anyone, any advances on to pull up by the roots for Aberon Kate? 
Drum roll, drum roll. Okay. And Ashley and Chicken Lady, you are correct to pull up by the roots, to remove entirely. The earliest known use was in 1721, English dictionary by a lexicographer, lexicographer, sorry, called Nathan Bailey. Um, it's been labelled as rare and archaic, meaning there are none or only one example in printed sources. There were Philip saying pretending to work and Aaron Akima suggested pretending to work. I would have thought pretending to work. Actually, I'd be really bad at this quiz. Okay. Oh, this is a good one. I'd like to use this. What is a dunderwhelp? A dunderwhelp. Is it A, a female dingo giving birth to young, a person who lacks memory, or a stupid or foolish person? Is a dunderwhelp a female dingo giving birth to young, a person who lacks memory, or a stupid or foolish person? Right. Um, hang on a second. I've got to just scroll up the chat room slightly. Louise, sorry, fat fingers. Real bourbon lace fruitcake and eggnog will make you smack your grandma. Um Never heard that expression before, Louise. Okay, bourbon-laced fruitcake, I can imagine. Yes, I can imagine quite liking that. Maggie is going with stupid or foolish person. It's my inclination it is stupid and foolish person, actually. that's That would be my choice. Anyone else want to make a choice? Is it a female dingo giving birth, a person who lacks memory, or a stupid or foolish person? Ashley's saying a person who lacks memory. Yes, Maggie is seeing the... Similarity with Dunderhead. Yes, Dun Dunderwelp. Chicken Lady saying, agree, Maggie. Okay. Mary Sowery saying, stupid or foolish. Philip saying, stupid people. Maggie saying, I've used Dunderhead many times in my lifetime. Yes, Dunderhead. I'm very... Oh, wow. Philip, cottonhead, cotton-headed ninny muggins. Cotton-headed ninny muggins. That's great. The favourite um, the, the favorite, uh, expression for a silly person over here is numpty. My children use that all the time. Uh, Louise is saying, oh, the expression is all cuss your grandma. Okay, well, something else I've learned. Right, the answer is, is it a female dingo, a person who lacks memory, stupid? It is a stupid or foolish person. It's a stupid or foolish person. Um, it's thought to be Dutch combined with English. It's thought to first feature in a tragic comedy called Women Pleased in 1647. And read... You know what a dunderwhelp my master is. So there we are. Yes, very similar to Dunderhead. Maggie, boom, I'll treat myself to a brownie later today. Absolutely. It is two minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast. Same day from crusademax.com. We've been talking about the coroner's report following the inquest following the suicide of a head teacher here in Britain after a, an aggressive and inhumane as it's being described Ofsted report it's also National Gingerbread House Day uh, Ponsetia Day and Dingaling Day and just to lighten the mood a little after a rather serious subject first segment we are having a quiz can you name that obscure and rare word? We're doing pretty well well so far. I'm sorry, we, we, 
some of them some of them are easier to guess than others. Okay, next question: What does abditory mean? Abditory mean, or probably you'd say abditory, a safe repository for valuables, causing or intending to cause delay, or having the capability to remove hair. Abditory or abditory. A safe repository for valuables, causing or intending to cause delay, or having the cap capability to remove hair. I actually haven't a clue with this one. Anyone want to make a guess? Abditory. Abditory. Ashley's saying a safe repository for valuables. Anyone want to... Guess the same, guess different. Is it a safe repository for valuables, causing or intending to cause delay, or having the capability to remove hair? I can give you a clue. It comes from the Latin word abditorium. Uh, Mary's diary is saying capability to remove hair. Um, Erin Akima is with Ashley on this because she's winning. Yes, I think I think Ashley's the one to back, really. Um, Maggie, mm, don't know on this one. Yes, JT also saying hiding place. Yes, if I tell you it's from the Latin abditorium, which is a word the Romans used to describe a hiding place. So, yes, indeed, it is a safe repository for valuables. Abditory replacing abditorium, the definition remained the same. Just sometimes, yes, Maggie's put the definition there, sometimes knowing a bit of Latin can be useful. Okay, oh, this is really funny. All right. If something or someone was a Jill Hooter, what would they be? A Jill Hooter. A female ferret, an individual who is funny, has a sense of humour, or an owl. Yes. Ashley, you're on fire. Four rights so far. Okay, let's see if we can make it a five. What is a Jill Hooter? A female ferret, an individual who's funny, has a sense of humour, or an owl? Yes, you are being celebrated in the chat room, Ashley. Well done. Okay, anyone want to have a stab at this one? A Jill Hooter. Um Philip is saying an owl. Okay. Anyone else want to make a guess? A fer female ferret, an individual who's funny, or an owl? Chicken lady is saying a funny person. Okay. Someone's a hoot, you know. Uh, good morning, fellow crusaders from CRT. Uh, well, are you coming in just in time to have a guess? Right. Final moment. A Jill Hooter is a word. Oh, no. And then more people coming in with guesses. Ashley saying funny person. Mary's dowry, sense of humour. Anyone else want to make a guess before I reveal the answer? A Jill Hooter was an owl. Yeah, an owl. You will know that owls hoot. So a Jill Hooter is an owl. It was once thought to be the name for a female owl and has had many variations throughout history, including Jill Hooter, Jilly Hooter and Jilly Houter. First recorded use by a physician and natural philosopher, Walter Charlton in 1668. There we go. We're getting near the end now. Just two more to go. What does necius mean or necius? Secretive behaviour, 
eager or quick to quarrel, argue or fight, or ignorant and not knowing. Necious. Secretive behaviour, eager or quick to quarrel, or ignorant or not knowing. Philip is saying Jill Hooters is my favourite restaurant. I, I, don't, I think we should call ours Jill Hooters. I think that's really sweet. Okay. Anyone want to make a stab at this to be necious or necious? Ashley is saying secretive behaviour. Okay. Anyone else want to make a guess? Secretive behaviour, easy or quick to quarrel or ignorant? Anyone else got an idea? Right. Any advance on secretive behaviour? JT is saying ignorant. Okay. Anyone else want to make a guess? Is Nessius secretive behaviour eager or quick to quarrel or ignorant or not knowing? And the answer is ignorant or not knowing. If someone was Nessius or Nessius, it's a word that comes from, well, it's thought to be actually the origin of the word nice. I believe it nice wasn't always a positive word. The word is thought to combine two Latin words, ne, which is no, and shire, which means to know, as in knowledge, no, no knowledge. Translated, the, the word means who has no knowledge, so best used as ignorant. Okay. Philip put in the guess secretive. Yes, I don't know. It's the sort of, if you break it down etymologically, it's a bit more obvious, but I would have thought of it as being something secretive. Okay, final word. Final word. What is the definition of crinosity? Crinosity. To, um, it's to be hairy. It's a state of being hairy. A growing ache or pain or to form wrinkles or ripples. Crinosity, the state of being hairy, a growing ache or pain, or to form wrinkles or ripples. Who's going to have a little stab at this one? Final question. Maggie is going with hairy. Crinosity is the state of being hairy. Okay. Anyone else? Ashley saying to form wrinkles or ripples. Any more guesses? Is it hairy? Is it a growing ache or pain? Or is it to form wrinkles or ripples? Louise is going with to form wrinkles. Right. Any more guesses? Any more guesses going? Going? Gone. Okay. And the answer is... The state of being, and Ross got there right in time, and JT, it is in fact the state of being hairy. <laughs> Chicken lady, I'm forming wrinkles. Okay, Philip is saying, if it's the hairy one, I have a new nickname. There you are, you are crinocious, crinosity. The state of being hairy, as with most words in this quiz, the origins are Latin from the word crinocitas. Uh, but it's apparently not recorded in Latin texts. There we go. So, just to uh, just to go over, 
funnily enough, I've just I've just had my own score. I'd when what I did was to get the answer, I put in the score, I put in whatever the answer was, the first person who guessed. So I got five out of ten, which was belieful. We still have faith that you can smash those rare words. There we go. So yes, well done, everyone. I think that was pretty good. I think we got most of them, in fact. Half of them, anyway. So these are words so rare. And these are these are words I, I feel like using dunderwhelp somehow. And referring to someone as having crinosity somehow is it just feels more sophisticated than being hairy. I don't know. Anyone with me on this one going to try out a few of these new words? Anyway, we are rapidly moving towards the end of the show. It does go quickly. Just to recap, National Gingerbread Day. Do you know I haven't seen any pictures of gingerbread houses this morning? I'm just going to drop that one in. No pictures of gingerbread houses this morning. Anyone got a gingerbread house they wish to photograph and send into the chat room? Also, I have not yet seen any disastrous Christmas decorations photographs. I am the clear winner at the moment with the... Nazi Santa thing that looks like it, it's saluting me when I go down Epsom Road. Um, anyone got any ideas for um, for really terrible Christmas decorations? Please do send them in or I will win my own competition, which will be deeply embarrassing. Uh, here we go. I think, yes, Chicken Lady's forming wrinkles. So is Maggie. It's stressful, isn't it, doing a quiz? You get really caught up in it. I have to do a few more of these. OK, it is also, yes, National Dingaling Day. Is everyone with me that that song was terrible? I would just like, just before we go to the crosstalk, could somebody just stand with me that that song should never be played on the Crusade Channel ever again? Oh, that is lovely, Ashley. Thank you. Beautiful picture of a gingerbread house. It's got sweeties. They look like fruit pastels across the roof. And, and there are like little little chocolate buttons, sugary chocolate buttons, and little white chocolate balls, it looks like, going up to the front door. That is just wonderful. Thank you, Maggie. It was 100% terrible. Good. I'm glad we're all on the same side. Yes. Ross is saying wonderful song. Wonderful song, oh, Ross, please. Um, you should be on my side. Jacqueline, next song should never be played again, period, ever. That, so that song should never... Yes, thank you. Do you hear that, Mike? I just would like you to know that song is never to be played and never to be aired ever again, okay? Just in case you'd been at the eggnog and thought it was a really good idea. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, the... Maggie, that is just lovely. That is, is, that, is that yours? Did you make that? Oh, that chocolate on the roof. And there's penguins. It's a penguin gingerbread house. I love penguins. Oh, that's so lovely. Um, King Dude, keep it up. Louise is pointing out that Chuck Berry was arrested for assaulting a woman. Nice man. Dr. Torres is pointing out that it, the announcement was that it's National Ringling Day. But it does say National Dingling Day. Could it in fact be Ringling? Could could this entire show be a farce? Could could we have got completely the wrong end of the stick here? It's not actually dingling at all, it's a misspelling, it's a typo in the chat room. And in fact it was Ringling Day. That would be nice. Um Maggie's saying, how about a chocolate gingerbread house? I think a chocolate gingerbread house would be just perfect 
Philip is saying the show has a connection to the male vocalist of the Gingerbread song. Really? Who is the singer? Who have I just insulted? Maggie's saying, I've never made a gingerbread house in my life. I got this from the Food Network. They are quite fiddly. I don't make the gingerbread. I tend to get it self-assembly, as it were. But after last year, oh, it was quite, quite unpleasant. Because, of course, the stuff you stick it together, you stick it together with icing. And this child just couldn't resist licking the icing. It, it, yes. Um, Mike, are you there? No, I refuse a- to play the game. <laughs> oh, come Some of you on, people Mike. would drive a man like me to go hit the eggnog. The darn <laughs> thing said ding-a-ling day. I didn't make it. It did say it. ding-a-ling. It did, it did say, say ding-a-ling. ding-a-ling. Yeah. I didn't make the thing up. All I Maggie. did was play the song that had ding-a-ling in it so all the rest of you can <laughs> shut up. Oh, it well, won't get played <laughs> again. Don't worry. <laughs> well, Maggie is saying in the chat room, it, it, it does say that the website of National Days says ding-a-ling. Yes, it there does say are. ding-a-ling. Of all yeah, the things to worry about in the human race, we're going to worry about whether or not somebody played a song by Chuck Berry that, by the way, was number one on the Billboard pop charts. Doesn't make it good. Ding-a-ling. Oh, we used to run around singing that song when we were kids. We thought it was the funniest thing ever made. I can just imagine it. <laughs> I can imagine you about seven finding that absolute. You're still finding it, it funny. It still gets played. If you turn an oldies, a 70s, uh, let's see, when did that song come out? 70s uh, classic, uh, uh, 70s on seven, like on Sirius XM, for example, you would hear that song. Unless it came out in 69 or something. In any event, I didn't write the song. I didn't invent the stupid day. All I did was say, oh, I know a song that has dingling in it, and I played it. Sue me. Right. Yes. <laughs> Nobody said anything about Mark Stein's wonderful Gingerbread Man song. It was it was awful. How was that awful? <laughs> it was silly. It had a flute in it. There was no guitars. There was no rock. There was not even a drummer. The woman that sang the song, that sings the song with him, is a very famous opera uh, singer and stage performer. Stein is the author of the Great American Songbook and defends things like, uh, well, I sent you the article uh, that he wrote about about music in 20 years ago today. What is awful about Gingerbread Man? You're going to have to explain awful to me. What's awful about a, a innocent little song about gingerbread men? Silly. What does Silly. everything have to be serious? Yes. No. Are I you, suppose, actually, okay, I, I want you to go yeah. burn all of your Mozart today because he wrote "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" and that's stupid and silly. We don't know. He definitely did that. Yes, we do. We I'm proclaiming not. it right now. It's a. <laughs> he, okay, so Mozart wrote church. a stupid song called Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Therefore, everything he ever wrote is stupid, worthless, and needs to be burned. Well, actually, that gingerbread song reminded me of the Holderness family's version of. Who's the Holderness um, family? Oh, they do parodies of famous songs. and Oh, I know. They, they do a- the uh, pumpkin spice lat- uh, latte song. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's them, but I haven't heard that one. But they um, they did a version of Spice Latte. Yes, they do. They did. Yeah, they did a version of um, of uh, Baby, it's cold outside. With Baby, just go outside. Yeah, the and, it's, uh, and a man desperately trying to get rid of his girlfriend. It's really funny. Well, Baby, it's cold outside has been banned on most U.S. radio stations. 
Well, that that was why they they made this parody version and said it's really really <laughs> hilarious. Um, yes, it's um you know you're in control of this thing and that sort of thing. Yeah. So there we are. How would you? There know, are some. Hmm? How would you know about them? Um, because they they did just that that particular version went the rounds on uh, social media. Did it now? Yeah. Um, and so, and I, I thought it was funny. And um, but I it's a parody to... of a song that you would say is positively dreadful. To be honest with you, <laughs> there are worse Christmas songs than that by a long way. Well, that's not a well, okay. You're talking about the baby. It's cold outside. And what? Yeah. Not, no, I was talking about the pumpkin spice latte song. Oh, I haven't sung that one yet. I haven't, 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 haven't heard that one yet. Sorry. So the baby, it's cold outside. Was uh, that's from the forties? Yeah. The original's from the forties. And when everyone made a big fuss about it, um, it then became really famous. When, they, when it started being banned, everyone was listening to it. Well, that's because that's, because that's how what it works. happens, isn't? It? That's how it works. You get. Yes. I mean, that's why it always happens. You always have to be very careful about making a fuss about anything because it does encourage it. You know, um, Salman Rushdie's the, the Satanic Verses. I know what the Satanic Verses are. Yeah. Well. No, but you know his his book that well, got him the fatwa. Right, well, the, and, well yeah. the satanic verses, that's the Koran. It's what he called the Koran. Well, it was, um, it was. I, I never actually read the novel, but apparently it was, it was, um, there were a couple of verses that he was, literally, literally individual verses that he was commenting on. But, right. Um, when that, when that came out, of course, because it got the fatwa, every, it became an international blockbuster. Everybody was reading it. And I studied Salman Rushdie's books when I was doing a contemporary, uh, doing a post-1970s paper. And I asked my tutor, I said, well, why is the Satanic Verses not on the list? Is it because of the, it's too controversial? And he said, no, it's no good. He said, it's just not a very good book. It's, it is weakest writing. Um, but it's the book he's most famous for because the Ayatollah gave him a lot of publicity. Well, didn't he uh, apostatize against the Muslim religion? Well, he claimed he hadn't, um, but he—I mean, he, he had to have bodyguards because he's based in Britain. He had to have bodyguards mm. um, for, for many, and of course, he, he then was horrifically attacked. If you remember at that conference. Well, he yeah. still has bodyguards, doesn't he? Yes, I don't know where his bodyguards are when a man came at him with a knife. Um, but I, I gather it happened very quickly. They, um, I, I think, he was he was on the he was on the podium getting ready to start talking, and a man came up dressed in black, and everyone thought it was a technician. <laughs> and he said, and he suddenly just pulled a knife out. I, mean, I think he's blind in one eye now as a result of that attack. So, you know, it was it was pretty horrific. I'm not familiar with any of uh, Salman Rushdie's other works. I never read him. Well, um, Midnight's Children is probably the only one I'd suggest, um, but it's it's more the, the, what I find interesting is that Midnight's Children was the Booker of Bookers. Not only did it win the Booker Prize, it was also voted the Booker Prize winner of the decade. Um, and far fewer people have heard of it than have heard of the Satanic Verses, which I gather is not really worth the paper it's printed on. Well, no, because uh, uh, it's a critique of the of the Koran. And uh, if you want to know what the satanic verses are, well, uh, there actually are satanic verses in the Quran. 
So well, I, th- I think he, I think he was making. There was a very specific sort of comment he was making. I can't, I can't remember because I didn't read it. I remember read, reading up on the um, just on the controversy. The sad thing is, um, I mean, I think what was done to him was horrific. You know, I, I don't actually believe in going around stabbing people because they write things you don't like. You know, and there's um, um, or play songs that you don't like. Or play songs you don't like. I'm not yes. a censorship as it happens. However, no chat room yeah. stabbings. The awful thing is, um, you're not going to let me forget this, are you? Um, the really awful thing is, he does not come across as at all a nice person. Um, I read his his essays defending his position, and he comes across as so smug, so arrogant, so unpleasant. Uh, but yet, you know, he has a right to be smug and arrogant and unpleasant. Why? Because he has a couple of degrees? Well, I mean, I think in the end, you know, you can't... We can't create a society where a person has to live in fear all his life because he wrote a book someone didn't like. You know, the I mean, the Da Vinci Code was a great deal more distressing to Christians, I suspect, than the Satanic Verses was to Muslims. And yet, you know, we didn't go around well, trying right. to kill Dan Brown. Well, if you want to, if you want to get away with practicing and writing uh, all sorts of things that are bigoted towards a specific group then spend your life and uh, you will be handsomely rewarded for writing anti-Catholic bigotry. Yeah. Yes, they will make movies all about it. They will put you on shows. They will throw awards at you. They will defend you in the public square uh, because that is the last form of bigotry that is legally sanctioned in nearly every country in the West. But mm-hmm. then again, I think that that's pretty much, I think that's pretty much how... Uh, our Lord would have it. And it's, I think that we should stop complaining about it. We ought to have it that way, too. He did tell us that if you follow me then yeah. and expect them to do, if they can do this to me and I let them do it to me and I'm God, you should expect them to do it to you. Yeah. I think there'd be something wrong if they didn't do it to us. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to read this uh, because uh, I've been talking about this for uh, well over a year now, and I've sent it to you, Mm -hmm. and I don't know that you've read it. So let me read the first two paragraphs of 20 years ago today from Mark Stein about music. I I think Stein is one of the most... He's a funny guy. He he has a great... You know, he was on GBTV. I think they kicked him off. Probably. Yeah, he was on GBTV, and he was on the What did he do? He's an author. He's a writer. He's a composer. No, no, but how did he get kicked off, I mean? He, well, because he was, let's see, what did they get him for? Pretty sure they got him for coming out uh, and questioning the safety and and, uh, efficacy of the vaccine. Oh, right. Pretty much what they got him for. Um, You know, he used to fill in for Rush Limbaugh on the Rush Limbaugh show. Uh, He was Rush's number one go-to guy. Uh, Check him out. You can read his columns at uh, Stein Online, S-T-E-Y-N. I've met Mark. I've had used to have him on the show as a regular. Uh, He wrote a book that warned the world about the coming demographic crisis called America Alone. This is in 2005. And he was uh, giving the birth rates from all the civilized countries, the top 20 or 30 countries in uh, ranked by economic prosperity by the U.N. And there was only two out of 30 that were going to survive, 2,100. Uh, they didn't change how um, the amount of children that fertile women were having and their attitudes towards uh, abortion and contraception. So if you if you read a little bit about about Mark Stein, I think that you would like him. He may be a little gregarious for you specifically. 
Is he the one who dropped F-bombs all over an article about the Iraq war once? No, no. He would no, no, I'm thinking of someone else. No, 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 he would sorry, never sorry, do. sorry. No, 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 no. He's okay, the one that right the Canadian back. government is, is trying to have him extradited so they can put him on trial for his writings about uh, during COVID. For example, there was another thing. Uh, if you look it up, the, the, the Canadians want to jail. They want to put Mark Stein in jail, basically, for free speech. Right. And he wrote nothing that was, nothing that got anyone uh, harmed. He didn't write any screeds. He didn't scandalize anyone. Uh, but they want to lock him up. So, we are well, all rockers now. National Review publishes its own chart of the 50 greatest conservative rock songs. Notwithstanding that most of the honorees are horrified to find themselves on such a hit parade. The National Review countdown of the all-time Hot 100 conservative gangster rap tracks can't be far away. Even right-wingers want to get with the beat, and no one wants to look like the wallflower who can't get a chick to dance with him. To argue against rock and roll is now as quaintly irrelevant as arguing for the divine right of kings. It was 20 years ago today, sang the Beatles 40 years ago today, that Sgt. Pepper taught the band to play. Well, it was 20 years ago today, in 1987, so he wrote this back in 2007, that Professor Alan Bloom taught us the band had absolutely nothing to say. I don't really like the expression popular culture. It's just culture now. There is no other. High culture is high mainly in the sense we keep it in the attic and dust it off and bring it downstairs every now and then. But don't worry, not too often. Classical music, wrote Bloom, is now a special taste like Greek language or pre-Columbian archaeology. 30 years ago, that would be now 50 years ago, most middle-class families made some of the old European music a part of the home, partly mm. because they liked it, partly because they thought it was good for the kids. Not anymore. If you'd switched on TV at the stroke of midnight on December the 31st, 1999, you'd have seen President and Mrs. Clinton and the massed ranks of American dignitaries ushering in the so-called new millennium to the strains of Tom Jones singing, I'm going to wait till the midnight hour. That's when my love comes tumbling down. Say what you like about JFK, but at least Mrs. Kennedy would have booked a cellist. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I, anyone that has a hang-up about popular music, and you, we all should, should read that Stein essay, which you can find at MikeChurch.com if you search for it uh, as a PDF file. Um, so, you see, you and I, I don't disagree with most of you on dreadful songs. I think the Chuck Berry song is positively dreadful. It's pornographic, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Today, and now it was, they lied Why about it back then. Why are we arguing about this then? Well, they lied about it back when that song came out. And they said, no, 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 it's about a toy. Chuck Berry was asked before he died about it. And he goes, no, it wasn't about a toy. <laughs> so, <laughs> as I said, I only played the song because uh, because it was not, it's not something that I keep around. I don't have the forty five, and uh, and I and I and I don't have I don't have it in my music library either. So uh, I won't play the song ever again. I had really, to tell you the truth, I had forgotten the words too until we started playing and I went, oh Lord, here it comes. <laughs> and I knew <laughs> I knew what he was going to say. So uh, no, I won't be playing uh, the song again. But Stein is right about this. You go to an airport 
You go anywhere. Maggie and I make this comment all the time. When I go to a nice Cajun restaurant and I want to sit down for a Cajun meal, I do not want to hear Celine Dion screaming at me. And you do not want to hear disco or any kind of other beats or any kind of other modern pop music. I want to hear accordions and violins and people singing in French Cajun songs. Yeah. So you go to and you go to a classy restaurant, you think, well, maybe they'll have a piano player there with a tip jar. Oh no! They're playing some hideous, horrible stream from Sirius XM over the speakers. Oh, but they think it's quaint, you know, because every once in a while they'll throw a Frank Sinatra tune in there with a piano in it. Mm-hmm. No, it is a, and this is a point that Mark Stein makes. It's positive. I agree with you, Fiero. It is absolutely and positively dreadful, and you can't <laughs> escape it. You go to any store and they blare it and bleach you over the head with the most mm-hmm. dreadful assortment of music. So I actually, I agree with you more than you think that I do. We're in agreement about something, everyone. <laughs> and that's not a first. You need to stop that because people think like you and I are enemies. You need to stop that. <laughs> okay, whatever. And besides, are we enemies? No. 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 <laughs> and, be- and besides... There, there is absolutely nothing wrong with having healthy little debates. Absolutely. St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Uh, and, 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 uh, uh, Bonaventure did not agree on almost anything outside of dogma. Yep. St. Jerome is known to have called St. Augustine all manner of names and sent him a letter, which you can still read extant, where, mm-hmm. what is he, I think he, I want to say he compares him to a dunghill. Golly. They were quite um, choice in the in their language, though, at the time. Um, there's a great, uh, there's a decent uh, um, uh, documentary that was made. Um, I don't think William F. Buckley was really one of us. Uh, I think that he was a CIA plant, but nonetheless, there's uh, some famous debates between him and this uh, this absolutely detestable human being named Gore Vidal. And, I've heard of him, but I don't know why. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like him. Uh, Vidal was gregar- was a gregarious, loudmouth atheist, uh, kind of like your, kind of like your, uh, your, your, your least favorite one, Christopher Hitchens. Right. Except Vidal had a cultured. He, he spoke with a very cultured accent. The gold right. Vidal. Uh, let me see. I think I might have a Gore Vidal clip here. Here, see, see if you recognize this voice. Okay. The genius of the Constitution is that it can always be changed. Not this voice. The genius of the Constitution is that it makes no permanent rule other than its faith in the wisdom of ordinary people to govern themselves. Faith in the wisdom of the people is exactly what makes the Constitution incomplete and crude. There you go. That's Gore Vidal. Ooh. Yes. One of those, he's, I, I don't think he's an Englishman, but he's one of those that kind of tries to present himself as one. He sounds, yes, I, I can't make, I can't place his accent at all. In so any weird. event, uh, yeah. Buckley took him uh, to task, uh, 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 Buckley could have destroyed so many of Vidal's arguments had he just said Catholic things instead of things that Protestants think Catholics say. That's usually what happens, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just say the right thing, don't it? Well, no. Yeah. I, I, instead, what you get is this melange, uh, if you will, of what uh, someone thinks that people that aren't Catholic want to hear. Uh, yeah. I don't see why we have a problem with, with, with telling the truth. 
Um, <laughs> and if people don't want, want to hear it, that's their problem. It's not yours. <laughs> mm. so. There's a, a fair number of comments coming into the chat room on this subject. Yes. Well, um, he we is. Um, oh, I, I don't have. I, yes, I have, Gore Vidal is American. Um, Cousin of cousin of Al Gore. I didn't know that he was a cousin of a Al blue Gore. Blue blood northeasterner. Yeah. suggesting. Yeah, he's not. Uh, 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 is he dead? I think he died. Um, in any event, if you want someone that dressed the part and was cultured and um, uh, and and had a very authoritative but very well reasoned voice, and you might not think it would come from him. I would go with um, uh, with Tom Wolfe, the author Tom Wolfe, and, okay. and Tom Wolfe was always in public impeccably dressed. Right. No matter where he went, he was. If you saw, if there's a photograph of Tom Wolfe, he is impeccably dressed. Doesn't matter where it is or what he's doing. Um, and I think that he could uh, debate the issues with the best of them. So. We've made it through two days this week here. Um, I won't. Uh, I won't play Dingaling as your outcue music. Don't worry. Thank you. When do we break up for Christmas? Well, um, I don't know. Christmas is on Monday. It is, isn't it? Yes, yes. So it's two Mondays from yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. So we'd probably just make a clean break and break the uh, the twenty uh, the week of the twenty fifth. Great. Fits right in, doesn't it? You don't need, you're the, the Monday's a no-brainer. Absolutely perfect. I like it when it's on when Christmas is on Tuesday or a big holiday like Christmas is on Tuesday or the biggest holiday uh, because that way you got a four-day weekend out of the deal for most people. Oh, yes, that's very good. <laughs> Yes, I, I like and lots of holidays is good. Okay, right. my uh, my uh, my uh, the health of my voice has almost returned, so we may be able to tackle a, another read of the the the, the summons. summons. So I, I probably need another twenty four or forty eight hours just to make sure because that's going to add a significant load what I have to do on a day but we uh, we may be able to knock it out uh, one uh, uh, maybe on Friday we can give it a go yeah possibly I'm, I'm a bit more free now that's great okay sounds good well I'll see, see you tomorrow. tomorrow yeah it is 36 minutes past the hour it's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the early show all the way from rainy England don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at crusadechannel.com and the chat room is open for your commentary at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat and I'll leave you with the king dude Mike Church himself you're listening to the crusade channel live talk radio the way it should be (laughs) 